0: It's Lewis Crathen here, back with another podcast here. It is Inside the World of Duotone, and it's good morning to Tom Court, one of our international riders. How are you doing, Tom?
1: Morning, Lewis. Yeah, all good here uh, from the sunny Isle of Wight in the UK. Um, uh, Good to be on the line.
0: All right, let's just start with a basic question then. So obviously you've ticked off the what's your name box, so thanks for that, Uh, and where you're (laughs) from. So we'll skip to what exactly do you do
1: <laughs> what exactly do i do okay straight past the easy questions and into the the question that i'm still struggling to have an <laughs> answer to myself um what do i do i guess you know i'm up there with probably one of the um longest standing team riders in Tone. i think i've been you know riding on the team now since 2004 2005 and that was like you know boards and more uh back then um before obviously the brand switch and everything. so I've been you know on the team for a long time. and I guess I feel like I've done you know a variety of almost everything in that time from you know from team rider, competitor, freestyle, um, all the way through the disciplines really, from it to wake style, um, a bit of racing, boiling, um, and then you know m- moving into a bit of gear development over the years working alongside ralph uh with the dice early days development there and pushing for boards like the gambler and the wake star side of things to to kind of get onto the equipment list and then um, since then i've sort of uh, moved through into sort of content creation and um, brand development for the team in terms of supporting the riders with their video projects and uh you know, what, what directions they're they're going in in terms of their off season training and yeah, training for events and things like that. And uh and, and now yeah, now I'm sort of, I guess, um one of the more mature uh riders that we've got. Um That's a nice to way to put of...
0: it. I like that. Yeah. Word. That's a nice nice way to put it. Uh,
1: well, you know, mature <laughs> riders I think is is a good Experience. way to put it. it experience yeah as you as you go through your journey as a professional athlete i think it probably applies in many different sports industries not just kite surfing you pick up experience and you pick up value that um you don't have when you're younger or at least that's how i like to see it most people just call it getting old i like to i like to see it like picking up uh picking up value and uh and picking up experience that i can now you know bring to the team and share with other younger riders and uh, you know be a be a powerful asset inside the actual marketing team for for Duotone themselves
0: well, thank you for that wonderful introduction and we're going to touch on many of the aspects of what it is that you have done and you still do now to to really get a nice round picture of of you as a as an international team rider for for duotone kiteboarding um i wanted to share with you actually a memory of mine actually tom that i had and we go all the way back you mentioned that you have nearly been on board here for for 20 years actually nearly as uh, so you must be the longest going athlete for the duotone international uh team as you said boards and what was early on in the day before the brand change but I wanted to share with you one of my stories from getting into the sport because um, I'm a little bit older than you however I still class myself as a uh, as kind of a young rider or a child when I got into the into the sport and that doesn't apply as much nowadays but I remember seeing Uh, A couple of riders in the UK that were doing pretty well competing internationally and were really making something of a career in kiteboarding. When I first started kiteboarding and you were one of them and you were sponsored by Whippaker at the time, I think. I remember this young guy with the cool hairdo going around like, but you were from the UK and that was very inspiring for my journey to see actually that, um, kids were starting to, to go places with kiteboarding. So how far do we have to go back then when you were with Whippaker?
1: Yeah, well, that is the blast from the past, man. I think so. I mean, I started kite surfing actually in 1998. I think that's when I first got my hands on a on a kite bar. And it was a very different sport back then. Um, in fact, I don't know whether it was even classed as a sport back then. It was just more of a group of uh, crazy people that were happy to strap their kids to kites and send them out to sea, whereas now uh, it's much more of a rounded discipline uh, than it was then. So, uh, yeah, I think initially, my first sponsor was actually Quicksilver, you know. So I got sponsored by Quicksilver in something like 98 um, for windsurfing, kitesurfing, or just more water sports in general.
0: How old were you um, then? How old were you?
1: I was about nine. Probably eight or nine, nine. Years okay, old, so I've extracted I've
0: extract your real age out of you in a in a kind of nice subtle way. There, I think we were nineteen. Yeah, yeah. Nineteen ninety, then. Okay, so all right, <laughs> gives me an idea. So, um, yeah, that was quite early on in your career. Nineteen ninety
1: eight. Yeah, so I'm thirty four now. So um, basically, ni- nineteen. Yeah, nineteen ninety eight was my first patch of of the bar. I guess. And then, um, and then, yeah, since then I, I went, I went for a little bit. I was on Whipplecat. I think that was literally the OG brand in kite surfing. It was like the first, uh, brand, let's say that, that produced sort of inflatable leading edge kites. <laughs> so I rode with them for a little bit. And then I rode, um, for, for F1 actually for a little bit here in the UK. And I think I, I won my first junior championship here in England in 2001. It may have been 2000. But I think 2000, 2001, I was junior. And then I moved up to the top flight or adult pros in 2002, 2003. And then by 2004, I was already, you know, Aaron Padlow like, had already paved the way, really, to leave the UK and, and show, I guess, much like yourself, seeing myself and Aaron doing those things. For me, it was Aaron, you know. So I was just thinking, you know, he's off on the world turnout probably can I, uh, I i quit can school do and do
0: the same you can do it too so we, we've naturally started to look at the competitive start of your um of your life and your job and your kiteboarding career here which is was, was what i wanted to ask you about now you've just told us that you were um british junior champion and then you went on to become the the actual british champion And then some of the results i have here for you i think you have having a wonderful glittering competitive career you finished 11th on the World Tour in 2008 and I I feel like that was one of the years I saw you get robbed in France when you should easily have been in the semi-finals there and got an outrageous decision against you and didn't get through to the semis I think or even the final that was but then you went on to compete for 10 years at um the, the biggest wake style event in the world which is the Triple S Invitational and you stood on the podium there so you've had a really solid competitive and these are just some of your results that i've picked out um you've had a solid competitive career now i want to ask you how important do you think it is for for riders or people within the industry to 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 have had that experience competing at at an early stage in their career
1: uh yeah i mean i think it's it's invaluable experience. And uh, you know, right from the beginning, when I first started competing, I guess in the early days in 2000, 2001, uh, my dad used to take me to the events. He never put any pressure on me to win or even to compete really. Uh, he just wanted to be there and to meet other kite surfers because at that stage in the sport, it was rare that you would go to a beach and you would meet somebody else kite surfing. So, you know, that's how, my background in events started was really just to meet other people doing the sport and I think you know moving forward extrapolating that into like you know current days and current times one of the first important things with getting to events getting to competitions is mostly about meeting the other people the other personalities um and seeing what People are doing that are your peers that you could be competitive against, and you know in which direction the industry is going. So I think you know above and beyond just showing up uh, and being there and competing, whether you win or lose. I think having that experience and dedication to show up and be there and uh, and just give everything to to the sport is is the foundation of what going forward. Um, would look could look like for you as as an athlete and I think you know events do a lot more than just provide the results and I think you know for me personally I was always aware that you know winning wasn't necessarily my be-all and end-all goal I mean as you mentioned I did do quite well competitively and it wasn't a waste of time for me to be at the events but uh, it, I was there for the people um and you know for the opportunities that 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 may you know where that where that might go and and i guess also because i enjoyed hanging out with that type of person you know i enjoyed hanging out with the risk takers and and the best place for me to find those was was at events
0: and uh, now how look how how the ways of the world work where actually lots of those people that you would have been competing you're probably working with now and are still around in some form as we get older and change the ways that we um, participate in the world of kiteboarding now just give 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 us and maybe some of the listeners an idea of where those world tour events took you you know where did you travel in the world at such a young age it must have given you such good life skills as well where, where did you end up around the world competing
1: yeah so like you know the brief history really i guess was i i took a year out um between high school and university. On that year out, I identified the PKRA World Tour it was back then, which was still arguably one of the most legitimate freestyle tours we've had. Um, You know, uh, I just identified that as my year out. So I started in the Dominican Republic, um, made that happen, and um, basically never looked back. Once I'd done one um, world event, and like I said before, met some people that were on the tour and doing it and asked some questions about how to make it a reality. That, you know, one thing led to the next. And, you know, for five years, I competed on the PKRA Freestyle World Tour. And I think in some of those years, I did 11 stops around the world, you know, uh, competing from Cabarete, and Dominican to Italy, France. Peru, Chile, um, y- you know, you name it, o- America, all over the States, Brazil, um, Europe, Germany. Uh, I mean, Philippines,
0: just, yeah, I've got F- Philippines, F- Philippines, Yeah,
1: yeah. Australia, Philippines, I
0: think you've Australia. been to. Basically, I mean, you've travelled the world.
1: It, it, it really did take me with the wind and took me around the world and, you know, educated me. Uh, more more than I could have ever hoped for at school on the Isle of Wight, I think is a good way to put it. And, yeah, like, I, I you know, it, it took three years before I rang up my university to tell them that I probably wasn't going to come back and take my degree uh, for English literature because I was too busy having a, you know, too busy educating myself in the university of life, I guess. So it was, you know, it it was an incredibly educational pathway um and some you know a way to learn that I don't think I would have really got uh, any other way um yeah and I was very lucky to have that have that sort of focus I guess
0: so that's um that's a key point you raised there about you had to make a decision really to continue on with your education or to fully commit to to this lifestyle I, I feel like you, you've explained you've had good support from uh, from your parents now there must be lots of parents maybe even listening to to our podcast today thinking oh, I've got a young uh, young person in my life child you know maybe a friend of a friend that's got kids that they're pretty talented in and might not just be kite surfing or any sport any extreme sport and they really are good enough starting to do well in events and are talking about wanting to be uh, be a sportsman when they got older so certainly for me I wanted to be that kitesurfer. and it wasn't easy to explain that to my parents and, and i wonder how did that dynamic work with your parents about your aspirations to uh you know follow a, a lifestyle in, in a, a sport that probably was you know not really that big at the time back then or was, or was certainly was up and coming did they support you behind those decisions
1: well i had the I, I had the ying and the yang i was lucky enough to benefit from the ying and the yang in my life you know i had the mother and the father that the, you know they you know it wasn't always easy for them but they they stayed together and i had very much um my dad on one side being the champion of the sport and the active lifestyle and the sort of kid and then i had the uh, my mother who actually did spend quite a bit of time homeschooling me and teaching was the teacher the educator and you know so i had healthy i would say influences from both sides but i was definitely trusted to make to make my own decisions, but mm. there was one, there was one moment uh, where I think my dad realized something that he'd never thought of before. And he definitely illustrated to me something that I didn't even realize existed. And it was when when I mentioned I first got sponsored when I was nine by Quicksilver. I was just on the beach windsurfing at the time and a talent, uh, talent spot, a guy called Richie Foster. Hi Richie, if you're out there, he's responsible for everything that I now do really. Um, came up that, came up to me and said uh you could uh you could be sponsor I'm a talent uh scout for for quicksilver you could uh you could be on their team and i like I literally had no idea about anything to do with that or how that would work and he just uh shot a quick portfolio of me on the beach and action shots and taught me how to work with a photographer and all all that stuff This literally happened in one afternoon and sent off this little c v that he'd created for me and uh yeah, the sponsorship deal came through, and I remember my dad saying to me, "You know what? You might be able to just do this." Do wow! Yeah, but you might be able to just do this, and it was a it was a thought that he was having to himself, uh, but I, I just heard it, and I think that one, uh, literally that one little belief, was enough for me to know that there was more out there in the world than I could possibly hope to gain from. From my school on the isle of wight so uh, you know in in the end it was it was a very lucky absorptive process that i think you know that in in the end the, the sort of takeaway really is you know these things may seem like a dream or they may seem unachievable but like anything that seems unachievable if you just put one foot in front of the other and work your best in that direction you, more often than not you'll be surprised
0: What a massive moment that must have been for you as a young person to hear your own dad really hint, actually, you could really do this. That must have been. I mean, how old were you when that that moment happened?
1: Yeah, I was like nine or ten years old. So I mean, in in the end, like largely unconscious, uh, really, uh, for me at that point. But I remember being put back in school after after that trip um, and after seeing kite surfing and after like, Having these dreams illustrated to me and thinking, Okay, there's more there's more going on out there than than there is in here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's I mean I I didn't start kiteboarding to seventeen. You know, I can't imagine having that, those thoughts at such a young age. But when you look where you are now, it's I think it's great that you still remember those moments. That's the that those must be the moments that remind you to keep going and to keep being motivated and coming up with new ways and we'll talk a little bit about how your career's gone on from the early competition days and 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 hearing just that that happened with you with your father it's lovely to see what inspired you to carry on and continue with this career so I want to move on slightly now to talk a little bit about the sort of video work you do you know you're very popular in the kiteboarding world for the YouTube vlogs that you do you've got a big following on YouTube um, you've also done lots of how tos as well, but you especially came up with a very definitive project called the Free Ride Project. And I think I've got it here as 2011 when when you produced this wonderful video, which really casted the light on wake style riding and showcased it for what you and three other riders felt it should look like. Where you travelled all around the world, and it was you know one of the iconic videos in kiteboarding. I'd like to talk a little bit about that and how how you came up with the idea to sort of put the time, it was a lot of time to film something like this and to edit it and to, and to push it out there. How did that come about?
1: Well, I think it was, you know, it was quite a a pivotal moment in, yeah, definitely in the sport and definitely in time for, for me and for for us, the other riders that came along on that project. Um, and 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 also, you know, a time in terms of technology, I think the Canon 7D camera had just been invented or not invented, but it just come out and like mirrorless cameras were just coming through the door. And it was, you know, um, practically the movie space that I'd always been interested in was becoming more accessible and like growing up, I'd watched. You know, like many young riders watched loads of snowboarding videos and DVDs and VHS, it was even before then. And you know, it used to take me half a year to get a VHS from Maui back to the UK to watch it. And I was, you know, watching stuff that was half a year old at that point. So the the video sector had always interested me. And after competing for five years pretty consistently. On the freestyle world tour, I was confident in in a my riding skills, and and also confident in the fact that if I kept riding as hard in competition, I pretty I was pretty confident that I wasn't going to be able to walk for too much longer. So, um, it, it it was a decision really based around creativity and also the the newness of the sport that. To take a complete year out of competition, to stop doing anything except concentrating on our riding and representing how we wanted the sport to be seen at that period in time. And like that concept was born of those old DVDs that I'd watched. And, you know, also linking up with James Bolding, who was a fellow who, who was another, you know, part of the free ride project. Uh, intrinsic part of the free road project initially as a as a fellow video editor we kind of hashed out this idea to to make a feature length movie in in the sport that we that we both loved at that time and then it was putting together the team to do it and we needed the you know the good riders and the competitive legitimacy so we had you know Sam Light came on board as one of the hottest up-and-coming UK riders at the time and, uh, and Aaron Hadlow, um, we managed to convince Aaron to also take a year out of competition, which was actually probably one of the harder things to do, and uh, and come and ride and and film with us because it wasn't it wasn't something where we could say if you do this, you're going to get this out of it, because nobody had really done it yet. So it was just more like dedicate your year to to what we're doing, and and we'll see.
0: I think the timing of when you did this was just so special. You know, you've just of some of the other riders that were just at the perfect timing to do this you know aaron hadler a five times world champion that's competed pretty much a long part of his life was just at the right time to to say yes to you and be part of this project and sam and james are like the timing of that it's just crazy that you could do that and i sit here and think how special that must have been and you must be so grateful that you decided to to do make the bold decision to say right for one year we're just going to film the best we can be. You know, there's sorts of things that you look back at and you're so grateful that you, you, you've you done that, I imagine.
1: Yeah, and it was a special moment in time, you know, where, you know, like now nobody watches videos for longer than a couple of seconds or a couple of minutes max. And, you know, it was a special time to, to really seize that opportunity. And I think, you know, by doing that, we we highlighted what the industry was missing in many ways we highlighted you know how we wanted the sport to be seen and you know we were surprised as well at how much support and recognition and you know brand support we we ended up getting you know tr- from that project and i think you know it's yeah it was it was a really special time for for all of us involved and yeah since then i've tried you know i've tried to keep that franchise sort of going as as, as it follows me through my career, but it is increasingly hard to line up schedules and get to the same place at the same time as everybody. You know, you think getting a group of four of your mates together now just for a for a piss up is is a tricky one. So <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, to get you all from different areas around the world to together and do that must be very difficult. So that's the free ride project. If you do want to watch that, just head to YouTube, and I believe you've actually gone on to make four um, consecutive editions of that. I think there's the Free Ride Project 4 even out now, but that is all on YouTube. um, If you do want to go and check that out, check that out. So let's move on again now, Tom, because I have the next part of my questions here for you. And this one's a good one. I've got Armani Action Sports Model. Let's talk about this. What does that mean to you when I say Armani Action Sports Model?
1: (laughs) Armani action sports model well i mean i guess that's something that i have been that's one of the many hats that i have worn over the years and uh i guess i still am because the video is still up if you want to see it on youtube you can uh, type in Tom called armani but yeah i guess uh, one of the things i think i am most proud of with inside the the kite surfing industry is like Pioneering in some senses, the external brand investment into the sport, and really trying to push how seriously bigger brands take kite surfing as in as a sport, and and really try to expand uh, the platform in which kite surfing is seen. And I think I've tried to do that, you know. Several ways, um, one of which obviously is by having my video production company and and putting uh, content out there for brands and on my YouTube channel. But another way is to be really to actually try and engage with bigger brands out of industry brands. Um, and I think it's a big topic for, you know, up and coming athletes today to maybe not concentrate so much on just getting everything from your kite sponsor. Uh, or in industry brand, but also, you know, look to really branch out whether that's, you know, car companies or, or companies like, you know, like Armani. And I, I was very lucky to, to pull off a project, um, actually in association with Google and a couple of other big brands uh, to link up with Armani and DOP, one of their, one of their shoots. And in the end, they ended up, using me as the action sports model as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I I like to think that I, I educated Armani a little bit on, on the power of what kitesurfing can offer. And uh, and I guess, you know, with every big brand like that, supporting uh, kitesurfing as an image, uh, other brands get increasingly interested. And I think that's why, uh, uh, you know, a big part of why, We've got. We see big brands coming into the industry now and investing a lot of money in in riders and you know collaborations and and things like that. And I think for me, that's I've always been passionate about that. And I think that's the way we expand our industry, and that's the way we can ensure that riders underneath our generation have something to move into in terms of a funding platform and uh, you know and brands to work with. So yeah, I, for me, running down the beach and spraying a little bit of aqua the geo around was uh
0: was the way to start that this is a great topic tom you know you've, you've touched on some great points just then but we're talking about um armani huge brand Giorgio armani in the world that you were an action sports model for i know that you've worked with the likes of uh, land rover and big brands like this and it is such a key part of being a professional athlete not just to go to the competitions and just you know Keep in there with your kiteboarding sponsors to expand uh, what you're doing like you have is just such an example to to young riders out there right now because kiteboarding is attractive, right? It's going to be in the Olympics in 2024. It's got such good values to it of health and sustainability and, and it's an extreme sport that you can do anywhere around the world and big brands around the world want a piece of that. And if you've got the... The marketing know-how and the experience that you've had within within the sport as well—it just makes complete sense that you're doing what you're doing with all these other brands as well. It works both ways; they're getting the exposure through kiteboarding, and you're getting some great exposure with your with your already all of your sponsors that you have through through another channel. So that's the reason I wanted to talk about that. Having these projects on the go with, with different and being open-minded to who it is you might work with, I think, is a key part certainly looks like a key part uh to me of what you do tom
1: yeah definitely and always looking to expand the reach you know in terms of you know which industries you 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 work with and which brands you you, you do content for or you know partnerships you look to you look to gain you know um uh, i think i think that's that's a a big topic and uh i think you know moving forward it, it will only look it will only stand to, to broaden the industry make our industry bigger and you know at the foundation of everything i've done has been the love and enjoyment of pipeboarding so it's not it's not like i i'm doing it to. Be, i've never done it to become a pro and I, it's one thing that i see a lot in the younger generation now is like how how do i become a pro or how do I do this? or How do I get to that? And how do I get paid to do this? Uh, That was never my fundamental question. It was more like, how do I make kiteboarding bigger? How do I push kiteboarding further? How do I make kiteboarding cooler? Like for me, the foundation drive and love behind what I do is has always been in the sport, and that's you know when I work with bigger brands now, I really look to try and advise and consult them in how they would make the sport legitimate, so that you know you're, we're representing everybody in inside kite surfing. It's important that you know that comes off well, and it's not you know um, done done in a vacuous way, I guess. And I think that's how you create sustainable growth um, and. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, moving forward, uh, that's, that's more more what I've been doing in terms of like consultation and, you know, brand involvement and even team building and things like that.
0: I think it's easy to see from the outside as well, whether um, the motive is to, to, to become a professional or with a passion. And it must first and always be about being passionate within the sport. The rest. Will come, and I, I think you're you're really a good example of that, Tom. If you don't stay ultimately passionate about the sport, that not, nothing can come from it. I always have to bring myself back to that—that that actually, I need to be kiteboarding a lot of the time and be totally in love with kiteboarding. The rest will come around. That it's easy to and natural to, to showcase what kiteboarding is all about and what your ideas want to become if you're totally in love with this, with the this sport. That's the big question, I think is. Actually, how do you continuously stay passionate about something that you've done for so long now? You know, you said you've been into this since you were sort of under 10 years old. That's that's a long time. How do you continue to be motivated and stay passionate um, for the sport?
1: Well, yeah, so I can tie that back into to something that I said earlier uh, in this interview about, you know, becoming a rounded athlete. Uh, over time, and you know experience being a big part of what creates that uh, that journey a uh, circle and and for me, injury was a huge driver in the realization of the fact that I really truly loved the sport that like when the doctor told me that I may never do sport again and I may never walk properly again after you know blowing my ACL for like the third time um, it it wow. lit a fire. It, it lit a fire under me that um, that could have, you know, it could have taken away everything that I loved, and it could have, uh, you know, stopped me from doing what I really wanted to do. And I think, you know, I, I had to come, I was forced to come out of that. Think, you know, not being the person that was going to improve every time he went on the water, or was going to win an event every time he he went into it. But but the person that is just truly blessed to be riding on the water and I, I i got back to that uh headspace and i got i remember my first session on the water where, you know and since then i've really just been happy to go out riding mm-hmm. everything else is a bonus like i mean I, I have got back to a good level and i can push myself and i can unhook and i can do all the mega loops and i do you know all the stuff that, that i that i want to do on a kite i can but it was really that develop personal development that was created from From my journey through injury as a, com- as a competitor that highlighted to me there was a real junction where I could have given up everything and changed a different direction in my life and become an accountant or whatever or there was the fire that I needed to continue with passion and I kind of made that choice made that choice at that time and then if you couple that with only ever really trying to do things inside the industry that you really enjoy um you've got uh, a great uh platform for longevity and also i think um high productivity as well as being good at what you do because if you do what you enjoy you're often better at it
0: than than if you don't enjoy it you, you do it well so live from looking in from the outside tom it can look absolutely incredible you know you only have to look at someone's social media their instagram their the content they're pushing out so or, or perhaps the vlogs that you, you see from people and it really does just look like an incredible world but i want to talk about struggles and highs and lows do they do they exist within the professional kiteboarders life and how do you how do you deal with them
1: well, I would say that highs and lows and struggles exist within life. <laughs> it's not <laughs> professional kiteboarder, professional footballer, or you know, corner guy. You know, corner shop owner. It, it's just struggles and down times and hard moments happen in life in general. I think, and it's how you react to those. And I think, yeah, like I go back to my, my injuries, I've, which have been numerous over the years and how I've not let them stop me or make me scared or afraid or, you know, I've taken, it's how you respond to those moments and those difficulties and the lessons you choose to learn from them. Because it, it really doesn't matter what happens to you, um, it, almost how bad it is, it's about what you choose to take from the lesson that that is giving you. You know, there's there's almost nothing you can't overcome. And and there's almost no matter how bad it seems at the time, even if it's taking your legs away from you, there's there's nothing that there's opportunities that that will bring in your life that you would have never had Mm -hmm. otherwise. So there's there's always there's always positives, I would say, out of almost any situation. And I think it's about having the mindset to discover unearth, and find those positives. Um, So. You know, it's a very generalized question, I would say, about, about life rather than about professional kite surfers, because <laughs> there's always going to be struggles. You know, I, I speak, you know, having gone through injuries myself, I speak to team riders that are injuring themselves all the time. And, I, you know, I guess now I'm in a position to give them good, and constructive, positive advice on how they recover and where they go from, from there. So that, you know, adding to my own roundedness as, a, as an athlete.
0: I think you've touched on some nice, um, messages there and, and perhaps the lifestyle that you've had has helped you with that mindset to actually think of always the positives on situations. But something I liked about what you said there, Tom, is that actually you do, you had that thought where you were like, I could, uh, I could give this up. I could do something else. And, and I think it's okay to have thoughts like that. It's, uh, you know, actually just accepting that it's okay to be having every now and again some second guesses that that's fine they're the lows and to just understand actually I'm just at a low here that's why those thoughts are happening they can be the motivating factors to the coming back with real positive solutions and seeing and understanding actually this situation in I'm in perhaps maybe like your injury has helped me see just how lucky I am to be living this life and how amazing it is to be just being able to go kiteboarding around the world and do the things that you do and not to take it for granted. So it's kiteboarding, I think has really helped you to think like that, but they're great messages just for anybody in any walk of life, I think is to actually, it's okay to think, oh, there isn't all this perfect world that we might see on social media and, and through some of the content that everybody does have their highs and lows. So your vlogs, Tom want to touch on them a little bit, because this is something, a real personal question for me, because it yeah. takes so much energy to, to <clears throat> produce a video log of your life. I mean, how, what's the rate that you produce these every month? How, how do you have to do one? vlog? Well, or...
1: I was, I was doing sort of just coming out the back of the pandemic. Well, during the pandemic, I was doing one a day. That was instructional stuff. And then, um, coming, life started to move again. I was doing two a week, two, 10 minutes a week. So that's, uh, yeah. Uh, Eighty minutes of edited video a month, then I now I'm down to one a week just because life's a little busy but I, I think two a week would be my my good consistency
0: How do you find a uh, balance uh, to do that that's like for me to sit down and start editing videos and to actually be more so to capture what your world is like and to do it in a natural way which you're able to do how do you find that balance to be? you know actually kiteboarding for yourself totally away from cameras or or is it something you can do at the same time
1: well it's it's interesting i mean like so obviously i'm on the the gopro team and i think you know inventions like the gopro i mean the gopro as a camera has you know my, my concept for my vlog is i just i take my gopro everywhere i go and if there's some fun session about to go down I I try to capture it and and I you know my rule for myself and blogging is that I will put that out regardless of whether I'm really happy with it or or whatever and I will try and impart some information on top of it to the to my audience to my followers and you know more often than not it's it's an interesting video of an interesting day doing interesting things but I think you know I living a life like I have lived which is incredibly unplanned unscheduled you know a lot of the opportunities that i take are last minute and they are good opportunities because nobody lives their life so last minute you know and that means that you're immediately out of of a huge swathe of competition because everyone's always got plans but but within that you've got the instability of never having a plan so for me my vlog represents a certain structure in my life you know I need i know that I need to create a video every week 10 minutes of video every week of me doing something that I enjoy doing and and that it sounds strange but just within that exercise there is a routine and within yeah. that routine there is a sort of method so yeah as I came out the back of a, the pandemic especially when all travel and everything had been had been curtailed, and there wasn't really a plan, and no one could really answer any of your questions. My vlog was really a lifeline for me, and I and I guess it, it you know it, it it continues from there. It continues from there. I'm happy to know that everything's good with me. If I can get a video or two out every week, well,
0: wow, that's that's really incredible. There's sort of this ironic um, <laughs> stability around capturing the instability and the spontaneity of your lifestyle yeah it's a
1: bizarre it's a bizarre one but you know and i think the more i listen the like successful bloggers and successful people that have have done the content creation thing to a real high level it's more important to be to ensure that you can be long that you can have longevity in your creative pursuits, especially with blogging and YouTube, then it is about chasing the success of what you do. For mm. me, I don't mind if I get a thousand views or ten thousand views. Obviously, the more people that subscribe and follow me makes it much better for me to, to be able to do what I do. But I don't do it for that necessarily i mean if you're one of my avid followers don't be offended that i'm not doing it specifically for you but it's more that i'm happy to do what i'm doing and that you know uh it's something that i really that, that adds structure to my life and that i get benefit from
0: i think that's really insightful because you certainly can look at vlogging and often just think are oh, people just doing this for the sake of keeping their followers happy or gaining more followers but it's lovely to hear that actually there's there's a real self-learning experience going on with with um h- how you're approaching that i like that a lot
1: yeah it's uh it's it's fun so uh, you know i i i encourage anyone to, to to give it a go but i encourage more people to go over to my channel subscribe and comment below my videos
0: Nice one, that's perfect. <laughs> and uh, and we'll be uh, we'll obviously be including that in the blurb as well, so that everyone can find their way to view your stuff if they don't already. So we've gone full circle here, Tom. We've done a lot of uh, advice and um, information, and I mean, I'd like to go full circle now to thinking about the time where I believe you were part of some of the first young bloods um projects that we did here at Diotone and Boards and More, which really helped to to you know target young people and, and help them with their thinking about their journeys through the sport. Now, this is something that you do a lot of now. You speak to young riders. You have lots of projects where you use all of your experience as we've talked about during this podcast. And it's really the last thing that I wanted to touch with you during our podcast today is is what sort of advice do you have for up and coming riders that might be listening to us today that are looking at uh, maybe the life that you have had and are still having, it's important to say you're still having this life. And I imagine you will always live this life because you've mastered the the, the key, the key word of a life like this, which is to adapt. Um, what advice do you have for those people listening now that like, like the look of what you've done?
1: Well, yeah, it's as I go forward and what I do, uh, nowadays, I've done more and more of this uh, public speaking at events and I've actually recently been speaking to the British uh, Olympic sailing team and, uh, you know, giving, giving a little bit of my wisdom out in terms of building personal brands and how you develop yourself as an athlete and how you develop a content strategy that reflects you and your interests and also the brands that you work for. So, you know, con- consultation, I guess, is is, a, is, another, is another way forward because it's becoming an increasingly large topic. But giving advice to the younger generation is it's just more about finding <clears throat> what, what it is you enjoy and, and really getting in touch with um, why you're doing what it is that you're doing and it, it may be a hard question to to answer uh, when you're younger and I think just like some of the things that I've said that we've discovered on this on this chat is that you know it's often the injuries it's often the, the event it's often the pivotal moments in your career that will really highlight to you why it is you're doing what you're doing but for me that enjoyment of what i'm doing has always been at the foundation of my motivation across everything that i do that's from the sport from the competitions from the uh, content creation starting up my video production company it all focuses around the niche interest that i have with with the sport so I, i i think at the foundation of everything is, is really enjoyment and it sounds cliche to say but it's probably not something that many teachers will tell you face to face is that all you've got to do is really enjoy what you're doing and you will probably
0: succeed in it. That's a great way to wrap this up today Tom. Are you enjoying what you're doing if you're listening right now? If you're not it's time to change it. Tom Court thank you very much for joining us in the Duotone International team it's been a pleasure.
1: Thanks Lewis, great to speak to you as always.